everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and cheerful autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. This week, we watched Body of Proof, Season 1, Episode 3, titled Helping Hand. We're going to get into bullet wound patterns, neuropathology, and bacterial infections. So, let's get into it. We open on what appears to be a woman getting shot in a motel room, and then we cut immediately to police and Megan Hunt, our pathologist of the show, arriving at the scene. Megan looks at the body and says the girl could hardly be 24, and the detective tells her that she is 23 and her name is Elena Rosas, and her ID says she's from Winfield. The body was discovered by the maid after she heard the gunshot. She just had a purse on her, and there was a wallet and a cell phone, but no money or car keys. They think that maybe this was a robbery gone wrong. Megan notices that Elena is well-groomed and nicely dressed, and thinks that it's unusual that she'd be found in a motel like this. She also notices a lack of blood around the body, and the only gunshot wound Elena had was one to the arm, and Megan says people usually don't die from a single gunshot wound to the arm. The detective gets impatient and asks Megan to just give him the cause of death so that he can move on with his day. They're like, dude, you can't just, it's not that quick. Yeah, haven't you ever, like, done this before? This is your job. You know it's not that quick. There's a whole process, man. Gotta take her to the morgue. Do an autopsy. Don't be impatient. We find out he's having some marital troubles later, and that's why he's being impatient. But still. No excuse. No excuse. (laughs) Megan says she doesn't know what the cause of death is right now. Another detective talks to someone that works at the motel and finds that the victim paid cash and didn't sign in to the register. The manager says he didn't see anything, but said that the victim's car was gone. In the morgue, we see a quick glimpse of one of the techs organizing all the autopsy tools, which is important because there's times where we have so many things out at once. You got to make sure your tools are in order. Like Jess or I will set up. We set up the doctor's tools, and every doctor likes their tools set up in a certain way. So, like, you got to know mm-hmm. how each doctor likes their stuff. Not that they're going to be, like, upset if you have, like, a scalpel in the wrong place or something. <laughs> like, they're not that nifty. They're going to, like, be like, oh, I like my scalpel on the left side of the cutting board, not the right. No. The ruler needs to be in the top right corner of the cutting board. I know. That's always where I put it, though. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll set up their tools, and we'll also set up our own tools Uh, in our own little area where they're just like easy to grab so we know where everything is during the exam because yeah it can get crazy back there if there's a lot going on at once you need to know where your tools are at megan says that elena seems to be in very good physical condition she has two lacerations to the gums above the right upper lateral incisor and she has some dried liquid on her blouse megan tells the forensic tech to run the liquid after he puts the clothes on the drying rack So evidence drying cabinets provide security, they are tamper-proof, and they prevent loss of integrity, credibility, and possible cross-contamination of evidence, and also impede any harmful airborne pathogens that may harm or infect others. We have these cabinets at work, although we haven't really gotten a chance to use them yet, but our counter detectives use these cabinets for, like, homicide cases when they need to dry the clothing with, like, that's blood-soaked, because obviously you don't want any airborne pathogens from the blood. And once you dry the clothing, you can see if there's a bullet defect in it, since these cases almost always go to court, and they want to show it as evidence. Megan notes some kind of blue ink on the right forefinger and tells the tech to run that as well. Elena has bruises on her right and left forearms, and Megan puts together that the cuts on her mouth and the bruises on her arms look like she put up a fight with whoever killed her. Then Megan finds the reason... There wasn't a lot of blood at the scene. She says Elena has an ABC wound. She goes on to say that A is the initial entry point, 
the bullet travels through the arm, providing B, the exit wound, and C is the re-entry wound into her torso. Did you ever hear this called an ABC wound? I don't think so, but like, it the a- ABC is how you would- Label it. On your body diagram, how you would label it. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever heard any of our doctors call it that. Yeah, she said it. She's like, oh, it's an ABC wound. And the detective was like, ugh, one of those. And I'm like- Of course. <laughs> I was like, we well, just call it a re-entry wound. Like, I've never yeah. called it an ABC wound. I guess it does make sense. But what if it was, what if there were multiple bullet wounds? And you were on D, E, and F at that point. Would it be a D, E, F wound? Yeah. What if you, like... Because there's times, I think, that we've gone, like, through the entire alphabet one time. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, what we're saying is if there's one one hole that we see, one defect will be labeled A, then we'll label B, C, D, F, G, and then we'll be like, okay, A goes to C, so this is one, like, entry and exit, or A goes to B, and one... So... Yeah, sometimes if there's multiple gunshot wounds, you go through the alphabet multiple times. Mm-hmm. Got to make sure you have all of your entrances and exits accounted yep. for. And if there isn't an exit, you got to find that bullet. We do not bury bullets. So Elena's arm was pressed against the body as she fell, which prevented the blood loss. So we give a green flag for describing this kind of wound because I think this is the first time I've ever seen them talk about this type of wound on a show. Although they called it, I i mean, maybe other places call it an ABC wound. I've just never called it that. But yeah, a re-entry wound is a type of thing that can happen. And I feel like that's, that's where you'd see it. Like if their arm is pressed up against something. Yeah. They take the x-rays of the body and see the bullet in Elena's thorax area. And they note the bullet is in bad shape. Megan says it's not unusual for a bullet to be in such bad shape since it impacted several bones on its way in and out and back in again. She looks closer at the x-ray and sees that it punctured the ascending aorta, which is the first part of your aorta, which is the largest blood vessel in your body. So she bled out internally, which is the cause of death. The detective says that it is going to be difficult to tie the gun to the bullet without a striation pattern. So we talked about this our last few episodes, but these striations are the microscopic contour variations on the surface of the bullet. The striae are impacted as a consequence of traveling through the barrel of the gun, and these marks identify the weapon. Megan looks at the x-ray of Elena's head and notices something odd. She sees surgical clips in her skull, meaning that at one point in her life, she had brain surgery. And Megan wants to see what was done to her. And for anyone who doesn't know the background of the show, Megan started out as a neurosurgeon before she was in an accident where I think she accidentally killed a patient. Oh, like, so she was in an accident recovered from the accident she was in a car accident and then she thought she was fine to go back to work and she was doing like a neurosurgery but she like lost feeling in her hands and she accidentally killed a patient so now she's just she just went into forensic pathology because that's what normal people do when they lose their one true passion career they're like well might as well go into pathology i hate when shows do that i feel like this isn't the only show that does it like that I think in... I think Crossing Jordan did it too. Crossing Jordan? Really? If I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken. I know, I haven't watched that show enough to know, but I know in Harrow, there's sometimes another forensic pathologist that he works with, Grace. And there was one episode we watched where we found out Grace was a neurosurgeon, but a child she was working on died on the operating table. And she's like, I just couldn't go back. So she goes into forensic pathology. And I'm like, I hate when they make it seem like somebody's like backup. 
They're like, and I'm like, no. Right. This is not a backup. This could be your first choice. I'm clearly people love forensics. It's a popular thing. People, you like to listen to us talk about it, guys, right? And <laughs> but this is our this job. This is our job. But there is still, there actually is a shortage of forensic pathologists. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, I don't know. I just, it always rubs me the wrong way when these shows make it seem like it's something that these doctors like settle for. They didn't have any other option but this. Yeah. So anyway. Megan gets excited because she realizes Elena had brain surgery and she wants to look at what was done. So Megan goes to open Elena's head by starting to peel the scalp. So she separates Elena's hair so that she can make an incision from ear to ear on the back of the head that won't be visible once it's sutured back up, which is good if the body's going to be viewed at, at awake if it's if it goes to awake after autopsy. So another green flag for this, because this is what we do as well, especially if somebody has long hair, we'll like separate... The top half, we'll tie it up so that we can cut behind. So, like, picture if you're doing your hair in, like, a half-up, half-down ponytail. We'll kind of do it like that, except more... Ex- That's what we do. <laughs> more exaggerated, kind of. And we'll cut, like, around the back so that once the hair is down, you can't see the incision that we made. I thought that this was really cool because I've never seen a show do it and show it this way. Yeah. They always just show, like, a really bad scalp peel, but they never show like the before like how you're doing it Mm -hmm. i was so excited this whole scene because i was like oh my god that's what we do oh my god that's what we do so yeah this is very accurate so anybody who wants to watch this episode specifically this scene this is extremely accurate yeah so as megan is pulling elena's hair out of the way she sees scarring that looks a few years old and that it looks like good work done by the surgeon She cuts around the back of the head and uses a towel to kind of get a good grip on the scalp to peel it upwards. And I'm sorry, I have to give another green flag for this because I love to see it because that's something we do in our exams as well. Because the scalp looks like the underside of the scalp. Once you flip it up, it's bloody and slippery. And we're wearing so many like layers of like latex gloves and it's just hard to get a grip on it. So grabbing a towel or something can really help peel the scalp up. And honestly, your hands are might be tired at this point because it is such a thumb and hand workout trying to like actually peel the scalp. I tell people that all the time. Somebody complimented me on my forearms once and I was like, if this is literally <laughs> from peeling scalps, like I, I, cause I, I no no brag. I do work out a lot, but I never really focused on my forearms. And I noticed that when I started working in the morgue, I could barely do a head exam because it's so much work on your hands. Even after you, so like you peel the scalp and that works your hands. Like your your thumb hurts, your forearms are sore, but then you have to hold the bone saw. And if the person has a really thick skull, you really got to work it and you're holding the bone saw trying to get it. Then you got to break open the skull and then you got to peel the dura, which is one of your, which is also really hard. One of your meningeal layers. It's your outermost meningeal layer. And depending like surrounds your brain dura also means tough mother yeah yeah dura mater tough mother but so it surrounds your brain and spinal cord but we take it off of the skull so that we can look inside the skull to see if there's any fractures or anything so after we take the brain out we have to peel that out which as someone gets older it adheres to the skull more so it's even more of just like trying to peel this off and we have dura strippers which is a tool to help peel it but oh my god my hands yeah sometimes you're fighting my hands and my forearms when i first started working like when i first started working at the morgue constantly killing me i was so sore all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
But now I have really nice forearms, guys. <laughs> it's all worth it. Quick little fitness tip. <laughs> Peel some scalps in the morgue. Start peeling scalps. In the morgue and in a legal way. Don't kill people and peel their scalps, please. I'm not condoning that. <laughs> and Jess is actually the one who taught me the towel trick. And I, it was, it saved my hands one day. I was struggling so hard. My hands were killing me. And you were like, hey, grab a towel and just use that. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so much better. <laughs> this helps so much. <laughs> Little tricks Little and tricks. tips. So as Megan uses the towel to peel the scalp up, she has the sudden realization that the victim was one of her patients when she was a neurosurgeon. So she's the doctor that did this brain surgery. Cut to Megan in her office, staring out the window, and the detective comes in to check on her. Megan says that she's upset that she didn't recognize this former patient. The detective asks how Megan eventually realized that Elena was a patient of hers, and she goes on to say that neurosurgeons perform surgeries in a unique way, almost like they have a signature of their own. And she says that for this particular surgery that Elena was getting, she always drilled three holes into the skull. She beveled the edges so they were smooth and used five millimeter burr hole covers to cap the bone removal. Megan gets the medical records for Elena and finds out that she did her brain surgery six years ago. She had an arteriovenous malformation in her brain. So this is an abnormal tangle of blood vessels that develops before birth. And Megan says that you can live your whole life and not even know that you have one. But Elena had slipped near a swimming pool, causing hers to rupture. Suddenly, Megan remembers this case, and she says that she couldn't embolize the deep feeders from the left middle cerebral artery because of the risk of aphasia, so she mobilized the AVM nidus. The middle cerebral artery supplies specific regions of brain parenchyma with oxygenated blood, and I think we've talked about aphasia before, but this is just the loss of ability to understand or express speech, which is mostly caused by some type of brain damage. And the AVM, or arteriovenous malformations, are defects in the vascular system consisting of tangles of ab abnormal blood vessels, which are the venitis, in which the feeding arteries are directly connected to a venous drainage network without interposing of a capillary bed. Megan goes to leave and tells them that she's going to find Elena's killer, and just then, she runs into a man who recognizes her. This man has a name tag, and it says A. Rosas. So, this is Elena's father. He recognized Megan from when she did this brain surgery six years ago, and then we cut to a tech getting the results back from trace samples that he ran for the case. The blue dye on Elena's finger was too diluted to get a reading on it, but the dried liquid on her sweatshirt was milk. But Elena doesn't have a baby. She wasn't lactating, and at the autopsy, they didn't see any changes in her cervical os. So this is the opening in the cervix at each end of the endocervical canal. So during your menstrual cycle, the cervical os opens more readily during ovulation to allow sperm to enter. And we give a green flag for this because a change in the shape of the cervical os can indicate if a person has given birth before. So they think a baby spit up on Elena's blouse. They just don't know whose baby this was. Cut back to Megan's office where she's talking to Elena's father, who tells Megan that she was a big influence on Elena. He tells her that Elena's mother died when she was really young. She grew up without any women around, but after Elena had her brain surgery, the first person she saw was Megan, who had given her life back. Elena decided that she wanted to make a difference like Megan. She became a social worker with CPS. 
Elena's father goes on to say that Elena put everything into her work and never took time for herself, even though he encouraged her to move out of the house and find somebody and maybe even start her own family. But Elena said there were too many other families she had to take care of first. Megan and the detectives go to the CPS office where she worked to talk to her supervisor. So this is possibly a red flag because I really don't know if Megan would even be going to this because she she is a medical examiner, not an investigator. They always do this in these shows because they have to make the pathologist the main character. So they're like, all right, they have to be in every single scene. Let them be the detective and the investigator and the police and and, and the tech and the evidence Give them lab a gun. and everything. Yeah. So Jeremy Nichols, her supervisor, says that Elena had worked there for a year and a half. The department oversees the city's foster care system, and they investigate any reports of child abuse or neglect. He says it was unfortunately all too standard for Elena to go get in the middle of volatile interactions, but she never mentioned getting any threats. They go to her desk to look through her case files, and her supervisor says they're all pressured to close cases in 30 days, but Elena did follow-ups for as long as it took for the minor in the situation to be treated in a way that satisfied her and not just the system. The supervisor says that she had five home visits scheduled that day, but none of them were in the same area as the motel was. Megan mentions there was dried breast milk on Elena's blouse and asks which one of her cases involved a baby. So they go to see a woman named Holly Bennett who has a baby. She knew Elena and she said that she saw her that morning and can't believe she was killed. The detective asks Holly about a call that CPS made to her home a few months ago to investigate a possible domestic violence situation. Holly said it was just her boyfriend, Freddie, who yelled a lot. And Megan says that Elena didn't find any evidence of abuse, but that she did find cocaine. Again, like, this is, like, why is Megan doing the detective's job? But Elena took the baby away from Holly and Freddie until they were drug tested. Holly says the drugs were Freddy's and she never even touched the stuff and that the drug test proved that she got Tessa, the baby, back. They ask why Elena spent so much time with her that morning when she had other home visits and Holly says that Elena knew she was depressed because she had finally kicked out her boyfriend thanks to Elena's help. Holly said that Elena did hold Tessa while she was there and that Elena was great with kids but that Tessa spit up on her and Elena didn't even blink. Holly says she doesn't know where Elena would have gone after visiting her, but she did get a phone call during the visit. She doesn't know who was on the other end of the phone, but Elena sounded stressed and then took off pretty quick. Cut back to the morgue where Megan is looking at the bullet that killed Elena. She says it's a 32 caliber, but it was too deformed to run through ballistics. But Megan found something caked on the bullet, meaning it had hit something before it entered the victim. Megan looks closer, saying that it didn't hit something, it hit someone. She found another person's skin on the tip of the bullet. So, do you think that's possible? I thought it was very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of tech, like, I mean, obviously a microscope or something she's using to look at this, to find a tiny bit of somebody else's skin on this bullet after, so she thinks it hit someone first, Entered into Elena, exited Elena, and then entered Elena again. I feel like at that point it might have not. And it still has somebody else's flesh. If it did have somebody's skin, I feel like after it had gone through the multiple times in Elena, that skin might have, like, fallen off. And, like, the bullet they show, so the bullet is in rough shape. 
because so for anybody who's never seen a bullet that has entered a person or animal or something before it doesn't have its perfect like bullet shape anymore it gets really deformed there's lots of like ridges i guess after like depending on how so like the it looks like a crushed up tinfoil ball almost yeah and so like in one of the ridges in like the crushed up tinfoil ball that it turns into there's like a piece of skin and if the piece of skin like i just find it hard to believe that a piece of skin remained on that bullet throughout all of that big enough that all of that travel time yeah big enough that it's visible to somebody like (laughs) like she could see it did they test this specific little piece of skin like how do they know because she's just looking at it under the microscope i don't think they said they tested it she i think they do end up testing it she also she goes on to say the pigment something about the pigment of the skin oh but because Elena was Hispanic. had a darker pigment. Yeah. But like, still, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like, I just felt like there were so many factors in play that there shouldn't, like, maybe trace amounts, but, like, enough that it's enough to get, like, a really good DNA sample. And to see, she saw the pigment of it and was able to tell that it looked Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I have a hard time believing this. I'm not necessarily a ballistics expert. Should we give it a red flag? Or is it just one of our little iffies that we don't know enough about? <laughs> I, I think it might stay an iffy. Mm-hmm. But if somebody who works in ballistics is out there listening to us, please let us know if this would be possible. Yeah, watch this episode and let us know. I'm curious. <laughs> So anyway, a detective asks how Megan knows it isn't Elena's skin on the bullet, and she says that Elena was Hispanic, like we just talked about, and the skin showed a lack of pigment, so to them it looked Caucasian. They do send the skin to a DNA lab, so they know someone else was shot in the motel room, but the question is, did the killer get shot in a struggle, or is there another victim out there? The forensic team was thorough in their investigation of the motel room, and the only blood they found was Elena's. There were no spatter patterns, meaning there was no trajectory, and they have no way of knowing where Elena was standing when she was shot. They did find a busted-out window in the bathroom, which may have been the killer's entry or exit point, but there was no biologicals found there. The detectives seem to think Elena was hiding something, and they go to find out what that could have been. They go see Elena's father, and they ask him if she was seeing anybody. Her father says that she only went out to work, Then they ask to see her bedroom, and he tells them where it is, but says that he can't go in there, it's just too soon for him. The detective and Megan go to look in her room, and Megan finds a framed photo of her and Elena after her brain surgery. The detective finds a card from Philly Floral Works, and it says, quote, Hope you reconsider, signed Jeremy, who is Elena's supervisor. Dun, dun, dun. They bring Jeremy in for questioning, and he tells her, and yeah, again, also, why is Megan in on the questioning? But anyway, he tells Megan that he had a date with Elena last week, and that she canceled because she didn't feel right going out with her boss. Jeremy says that Elena was just shy. Okay, maybe she just wasn't that into you, dude. But the detective thinks that Elena, right? But the detective thinks that Elena wanted Jeremy to leave her alone, but that he wouldn't. They ask him to roll up his shirt sleeves and tell him they found Caucasian skin on the bullet that killed Elena, and they see that he has a bandage on his left forearm. He takes the bandage off, but it doesn't look like a bullet wound. It looks like a bite mark. 
So this obviously doesn't let Jeremy off the hook because Elena was found with cuts in her mouth and bruises on both arms. They ask if Jeremy ever got violent with her and he admits that he went over to the house the day before she was killed to bring her the flowers. Elena's father was out. Jeremy said she read the card and just started freaking out like she was having a seizure. He said freaking out. (laughs) I'm not calling having a seizure freaking out. Jeremy says he tried to help her and that's when Elena bit him. They ask how long the seizure lasted, and he said only about 20 or 30 seconds. And then afterwards, Elena was upset and told Jeremy to take the flowers and leave, which he did. He swears that was the last time he saw her. Cut to the morgue where Megan is looking at Elena's brain. And I got to give props because this is the most realistic looking brain I've seen on one of these shows. Absolutely. I straight up paused the show, took a picture, and texted it to Jess because I was like, are you kidding? This brain looks so realistic it was like a section of a brain but not just like it didn't look like it it looked like the texture was right like she picked it up and it was like kind of floppy and I was like that that looks like a brain the color was really good the the little wiggly grooves that are in the brain were phenomenal the gyrus the gyrus and sulci were all good I was like this someone did their homework and somebody Whatever they got paid, they needed to get paid more because that was such a good brain. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get over it. I rewatched the scene just to look at the brain again. I was like, that is a good brain because I'm a nerd. But <laughs> it was so good. So a little background about what is actually happening here. So during an autopsy, we take out the brain for examination and the pathologist will section the brain so they can see how it would look like on an MRI. This is done to diagnose any neurodegenerative disorders to see if you if there was a stroke or any hemorrhage or really anything else that you might want to see that you couldn't see at a surface level. So Megan is looking at the brain and she says the prime suspect is saying that Elena had some kind of seizure so she wants to examine the brain again. While she's looking at the brain another doctor comes in to say they got the DNA matched on the skin that found on the bullet which I'm still giving a really big iffy iffy flag. We're not giving a total red flag but seems off to me it's iffy this itty bitty tiny piece of skin belonged to somebody named sean wilcox who was released from juvie two days ago after serving time for weapons possession sean has a cell phone so they are triangulating the signal now cut to a dramatic scene of the police chasing sean down they catch him and arrest him and notice that he has a wound under his chin they take him to the hospital and interrogate him there They point out that the car that Sean was about to get into before the police chase was actually Elena's car. And Sean says he didn't kill Elena. He says Elena kept coming to check on him and Juvie even though he never wanted to see her again after she busted him. Elena told Sean that a lot of people had failed him but that she wouldn't and that she would help him get out of trouble. He says Elena was the only person who ever really came through for him and now she was dead. Elena had rented that motel room for Sean and told him she would support him until he got a job. He said that yesterday she brought him to the motel, gave him the key before she went to work. He says that he was tired, so he turned on the TV and fell right asleep. He slept for a couple of hours until Elena came back. He said he heard her come in, and then when he got up and went over to the chair to pick up his shirt, boom, he was shot. He didn't know where it came from, and he didn't even know he was shot until he stood up. And then he saw Elena on the floor. He ran because he didn't think anyone would believe that he didn't do it. Just then, a nurse comes in to change Sean's bandage, and Megan notices that the wound looks infected and asks the nurse for four culture swabs. They look through Sean's phone and see a number that he had called repeatedly very recently. 
They call the number back and trace it to a Vincent Stone who works in the car yard where Sean is found near. Vincent says that he's like a father figure to Sean and that he's never heard of Elena. But as he turns to walk away, the detective stops him as he notices blue dye on Vincent's neck that looks a lot like the blue dye that Elena had on her finger. The detective says that newer pepper sprays are infused with color dyes to make it easier to identify attackers. Then Vincent admits that he met her two days ago. Elena had come to the car yard to tell Vincent to stay away from Sean. He says he was pissed, but that he didn't get violent. He told Elena to get off his property, and when she wouldn't leave, he grabbed her arm and she sprayed him with pepper spray. The detectives think that the gun that Sean had on him that landed him in juvie in the first place was actually Vincent's, and they also think that Vincent is the one that called Elena from the payphone yesterday that sent her rushing from her visit with Holly to go check on Sean at the motel, which is where she ended up dying. Vincent tells them to come back when they have some proof. At the lab, Megan is looking at the culture swabs from Sean's infected wound and finds out that Sean had a fungal infection, Cryptococcus neoformans. Megan calls the detective to tell him this and says that, that you can get this infection by being near pigeon droppings, which is true. Cryptococcus can be found in the feces of birds, especially pigeons, but also canaries, parrots, parakeets, chickens, and sparrows. The dried feces can become airborne and will contaminate anything in its vicinity. So, the bullet passed through something with this fungus on it before hitting Sean. The detective realizes that the bullet went through the dirty window screen of the motel before hitting Sean. So, the shooter wasn't standing inside the room, the shooter was standing outside the window. With this new information, they are able to stage what happened at the time of Elena's death and figure out approximately where the killer was standing. They are then also able to figure out where the casing went in the parking lot and walk around and find a 32 caliber casing nearby. They say the breech marks on it can tie the casing back to the gun that fired it. One detective goes back to the hospital to talk to Sean. The detectives tell Sean that Elena confronted Vincent and told him to leave Sean alone. Sean was not aware of this and tells the detective that he used to work for Vincent selling illegal guns and he tells them where the guns are. This allows the police to get a warrant for Vincent's car yard where they find the illegal firearms in the trunk of one of the cars. They have to test fire all the 32s that are in that pile to see if any of them are a match for the casing that was found at the scene. There wasn't a print on the casing and the only thing that Trace found on the casing was rice flour. This takes Megan by surprise and she asks to see the report from Trace. She says that ballistics can fire all the weapons they want from Vincent's but they're wasting their time because Vincent didn't kill Elena. Megan tells this to the detective and says that the rice flour was fortified with Bifidobacterium infantis, a probiotic that helps digestion. And it's not for adults, it's for babies. It's found in baby cereal. So the bullet casing had baby food on it and the shooter would have had to have transferred it when they loaded the gun. So they go back to Holly to question her. They tell her that even though her urine had tested clean when Elena went to check on her, Elena knew that cocaine could clear the system in a day. I'm not actually sure if this is true from what I know, but what we read, cocaine in your urine can last up to three days before it's fully out of your system, which I think sounds more accurate, but I don't know. Yeah, I think they'd be lying. I don't know. They think Elena went to confront Holly and possibly take Tessa away from her, and Holly followed her after she left and killed her so they couldn't take away her baby. Megan says anything a mother puts in her body can end up in her breast milk, and Holly's baby spit up on Elena. 
Megan ran a tox screen on that sample and found that the milk contained metabolites specific to cocaine. So Holly was doing cocaine and passed the drug to her kid. Elena was threatening to make Holly take another drug test, which she knew she would fail and would result in her losing her baby. Holly followed Elena to the motel and shot her. So CPS ends up taking Tessa away from Holly, and the police also arrest her. Not Tessa. They arrest Holly. They don't arrest the baby. Can you imagine? <laughs> Just little baby handcuffs. Listen, we found cocaine in your system. <laughs> oh, my God. Megan tells Elena's father the news that they caught her killer. He says he knew Elena's job was dangerous, but that he couldn't stop her from doing what she loved. Megan tells him that Elena touched a lot of lives and that what Elena did will long outlive her and will long outlive all of them. That was a really sad ending. Yeah. It is nice to see that her impact would, like, go on. But, yeah. She was only 20, 23? She's a little baby. I know. But I think it was really cool that, like, after she kind of, like, got her life back, she wanted to give back. And she had a passion for, like, helping other people. Yeah. Which is, I think, something that these shows don't always show like what social workers and caseworkers do and how important their jobs are. So true. They are truly unsung heroes. Yeah. This week, we had a really hard time finding a true crime that involved any type of rare fungus. I looked. Look at my search history. Alice spent so much time. I was losing my mind trying to find anything. But we did find this article from an American Medical Association about what TV gets wrong about forensic pathology. And you'll see a lot of similarities between things that we bring up repeatedly on our show. But in case anyone wasn't aware, there is a shortage of forensic pathologists out there, like worldwide, nationwide. However, it seems like there's a ton of fictional pathologists out there that give false ideas of what it's like to work in the field. One thing this article talked about was the more exaggerated use of high-tech. Forensics isn't boring, that's for sure, but it's usually more basic than what these shows kind of lead on to. Quote, most cases that go to court are relatively straightforward and don't require the kind of tech that CSI assumes or pretends exists in the real world. This was said by Brian L. Peterson. He is the chief medical examiner for the Milwaukee County in uh, Wisconsin. He goes on to say that decedents are usually identified using fingerprints or dental comparisons, not crazy fast DNA technology like the TV shows make it seem. And Dr. Judy Melanek also wrote on her Forensic Pathology Forum blog that usually the lighting is so low. So true. It's so true. The passions between the co-workers are too high, test results are unrealistically quick to appear, and investigators are slow to leave the office at quitting time, which are all complaints that we've brought up on our show multiple times, which is cool. Yeah! When asked about the CSI effect, Dr. Peterson has his own way of leading jurors back to reality. He says that he follows up an I-don't-know response by adding, given the current science, it is simply not knowable, and here's why. To help jurors understand more clearly. I like that. So we're going to link this article in our show notes if you want to read more about it, but everything that they're saying is so true. I like what Dr. Peterson says. Like, he follows up, like, I don't know with, like, okay, but here's what I do know, and here's why we don't know this yet. Like, it's just not, it's not something, it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It helps educate the jurors. Yes. Yeah. The article also went on to say that I think the CSI effect isn't as big of a 
like an issue to like certain doctors that they spoke to because of like I guess the way they talk to them like this like oh okay no that's not how this works let me tell you why yeah I just think it's important for some of these shows to get certain things right as you can tell we have a whole podcast about it (laughs) I think especially the technology like that I understand they're trying to make it more like oh I really want like people to watch our show if we have this really cool thing that doesn't necessarily exist it's gonna pull people and viewers in we're looking at you rosewood with your (laughs) crazy technology that you have in every episode oh my gosh and especially csi csi early csis where they have like the holograms in their office oh my god like touch screens or i'm so sorry bones oh yes bones does that they like the crazy hologram technology like uh, our last bones episode we talked about the crazy voice technology (gasps) yeah they were using and i was like i've never heard of this and We'll try to look into and, like, fact check some of the stuff in this show. And I try to look up the certain technology that they're using. And it just, I can't find anything about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like the other thing that, like, is so simple for these shows to get right, and a lot of them just don't, is the anatomy and the the bodies that they use. And, like, during the autopsy scenes, if they have a body open, like, I know it's, like, a quick glimpse and they're not really showing a lot, but... For somebody who's watching it and, like, is into forensics and, like, actually works in the field, they're going to notice that it is extremely fake. And they're going to make a podcast about it. Us. (laughs) But, yeah, I agree. I really – and I was talking to you about this earlier. I – like, you can tell when they've consulted with somebody that works in forensics or if they've had their, like, actors or somebody observe something in forensics. Like, Autopsy of Jane Doe one of my favorite movies like scary movies now just because of how accurate the morgue scenes were because they had a forensic consultant like on set and we know one of the forensic consultants we do maybe we'll have her on (sighs) we should we should ask if she wants to come chat with us but yeah like and even in body of proof i was reading a little bit about the actress i think her name is dana delaney who plays megan hunt Uh, who's the neurosurgeon turned pathologist, she shadowed with a neurosurgeon and also a pathologist, a medical examiner. And she went to an autopsy. Yeah. Which I think maybe that helped her. Maybe she's the one who suggested like, oh, hey, when I do the head thing, I'm going to part her hair and I'm going to do this. And because you could just tell by the way she was doing stuff like, oh, wow, that's exactly how we do it in the exam room. I wonder if she's seen it before. Yeah, I think that Bones and definitely CSI needs to take notes. Sometimes NCIS also needs to take notes. I'm not calling out Ducky. I'm just calling out the setting that he yeah. works in and what the bodies look like. We would never blame Ducky for anything. Ducky can do no wrong. Ducky is a walking green flag. <laughs> get you a ducky in your life oh man love my man ducky so to end this episode we tallied a total of four green flags and one red flag so in our opinion this episode of body of proof does pass in terms of forensic accuracy thanks for listening to our episode of inside the morgue if you enjoy this podcast and want to learn more about forensics keep on listening you can find us on instagram and now on patreon so go check us out over there We'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. Bye. Bye.